So I'm going to use the word life a lot. Trenton, I, don't, I think it's up here, but it's really loud. Um, I'm going to use the word life, or we're going to talk about life, but we're going to begin by talking about the word death. But I don't want you to think that's all we're going to be focused on uh, this morning at all. Our, our society has a very strange relationship with the word death. Like most people don't want to talk about the reality of death. It makes them very uncomfortable, but we live in a virtual reality. Like so many of the, the movies and, and the TV shows of, is about death, vampires and zombies and horror. Um, so many of the video games that children, teenagers, and even adults play, it's all about killing, it's all about death. Uh, many of the uh, music groups... Uh, their, their names or the symbols or the logos centered around, around death. So, so we, have this, we have this strange tension where, where we don't want to talk about it, but we don't mind living in a world surrounded by death. And, and I feel the tension as a pastor too because uh, there's nothing more than I love. I love nothing more than walking into somebody's life during a moment of tragedy and heartache and pointing them to the hope of Jesus like, I, I, I love that opportunity, but I cringe every time my caller ID on my phone says Bradley Funeral Home. Because I know that along with being able to point people to Jesus, they are suffering now tragedy and heartache and, and loss. But regardless of how we feel about it, whether we're comfortable or uncomfortable, we immerse ourselves in it or, or don't, death is a reality for everyone in this room. And unless Jesus returns first, we're all going to have to face the fact that our, we're going to die. And it's sooner than, than you might think. And Trent, I don't have the, the clicker up here, so you're going to have to help me out. But, but it's so, sooner than you think because someone once calculated the average lifetime uh, on a clock. And here's the schedule. And I, this is not meant to like be doomsday in any way. I'm just, just, we're just talking. If you're 15 years old, the time on the clock is 1025. If you're 25, it's 1242. If you're 35, it's 3 o'clock. If you're 45, it's 516. 55 is 734. 65 is 955. And if you're 7, thank you, it's already 11. If you're 70, it's 11 p.m. And that means the clock is, is ticking for, for all of us. And whether death comes unexpectedly or, or whether after a long life or tragically after an, an illness and whether it happens to someone on the other side of the world or whether to a friend of a friend or whether death comes to your home, it eventually is going to come to yourself. But I think that most of us have a very different understanding of the word death than God does. Because to most of us, we would think of death as, well, our hearts have stopped beating and our lungs have stopped breathing, so we're dead. But that's not what death is to God. You remember the warning that God gave to Adam in the Garden of Eden just after um, preparing a garden for Adam to live in. He places him there, and then he gives him this warning. The day you eat the fruit of that tree, you will surely die. But if you've read the Bible, you know Adam eats the tree, eats the fruit of the tree, and then lives a very long time with his wife, and they have very many, they have a lot of children. So was God wrong? The day you eat, you'll surely die, and he lives for a much for a very lengthy time 
Well, I think to understand what death is to God, we have to understand what life is to God. And as we have been walking through this, this, this study through 1 John, we've come back to this, this passage that Jesus speaks in John 17, 3, where he explains that eternal life is not living forever, but as Jesus himself says, eternal life is knowing God and his son, Jesus. So if life is knowing God, death is not knowing God. Which helps us see what Adam experienced in the Garden of Eden was death. Not physical death of his body, but as Adam had been walking in the midst of the garden with God every day, he was no longer allowed in the presence of God because of his sin, forced to leave the Garden of Eden. He experienced death. So if knowing God is life, then living apart from God is death. Even if your heart is beating and your lungs are breathing, which means, and I know there's a, I know there's a show, I think, I'm pretty sure about this, but so that means in this room and definitely around the community, we truly have the walking dead. People whose hearts are breathing beating lungs are breathing but they are dead because they don't know christ in the book of revelation the the same man who wrote first john and the same man who wrote the gospel of john which is where we'll be today in john 11 he also wrote this end times book called the book of revelation and four times in that book he refers to the second death the second death but we have we die twice Yeah, if you don't have eternal life. See, there's either life after death for those who have believed in Jesus and have received eternal life, or there is death after death for those who have rejected Jesus and now will pay for their own sin. Which is why I'm excited to to kind of, as, as we're finishing up this series on the book of 1 John, where we have highlighted time and time again that God is life and God is light and God is love. I'm excited as we talk today that Jesus Christ is life. So I, I've talked to just, just two people, even today, who, who have mentioned about the idea that I didn't really fully understand that Jesus is God and how do you reconcile the, the Trinity and, 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 and this book of 1 John really helps us as we compare to so much of what Jesus says in, in the Gospel of John because we see God is light. We looked at that yes last week that Jesus is the light of the world. And today we're going to look at how God is life and we're going to look at how Jesus claims in John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus makes seven claims of I am. Here's the interesting thing. Of those seven claims in the Gospel of John, three of them contain the word life. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus makes these declarations at a very specific time. If you remember, if you were here last week, we talked about how Jesus claimed to be the bread of life after multiplying the bread and fish. He claimed to be the light of the world while standing in the temple courtyard where the large menorahs uh, were lit during the, the festival of the booths. And he says, I am not this temple's not the light of the world. I am the light of the world. 
He says, I am the source of living water while sitting at a, at a well. And today we're going to read how Jesus says, I am the life. And he says it at a specific time, in a specific place. And the backdrop for Jesus saying, I am the life, is death. He stands in front of death to proclaim, I am the life. Hey, Jason, the Cowboys game doesn't start until one. <laughs> <laughs> all right so if you're in john chapter number 11 we're going to begin reading in verse number one john chapter 11 verse number one the bible says this now a man named lazarus was sick he was from bethany the village of mary and her sister martha this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So John's just giving us a little bit of background of who this Lazarus is. Verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So if I could just pause right here. Jesus is the life, right? We know that. But also God is love. So now we have this we have this tension that the one that the life loves has his life being threatened by sickness. Verse four, though, we read that when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. So so here is the life. And we haven't gotten there yet. He's going to declare this in verse 25. The life says this sickness in the one I love is not going to result in death. Okay, well, we'll see. Verse 5, if you would. Now, Jesus loved. Yeah, man, there's that word love again. So Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And then I want you to notice the next word. And depending on what translation you have, this next word, this conjunction, it'll either say so or, or therefore, which is very important. Because what it's doing is it's making a connection between what it says beforehand and what it's about to say. And here's what it said beforehand. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So, or on account of that love, or because of that love, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. So do you understand? You understand what we just read, right? He loves this family so. Therefore, on account of his love for them, he stayed where he was. For two days. But what's going to happen is that Lazarus is going to die. Now, we know that because we have the whole, we have, we have John 11 in front of us. And, and so it's really hard to take this understanding that says God is love. And, and, and well, what would you think the immediate response of, of the God of love to be for someone who is sick? Well, of course, that God of love, if he is really love, he's going to step right in. And he's going to fix things immediately because he can. But he doesn't. 
We don't don't read in John 1 that God sometimes acts in a loving way or that God is a loving God. No, we read the very character, the very essence. God is love. What that means is God cannot act in an unloving way. That means that everything that God does for us is out of love. Even if it doesn't make sense to us, every action or every inaction of God is done out of love. Like, isn't that so important to be reminded of today? That God has this perfect time for everything. But what do we want? We want it what now. Like, give it to me now. I know what I want. I know what will make me happy. I know what, it, I know what will truly bring the greatest blessing in my life is to receive this now. And when God doesn't act, what we have to understand is our God is love. And even his inaction is motivated by his love for you. That's hard sometimes to really believe. But if God has a delay in your life, because he loves you. But I know what's best. If you know what's best, then we trust the God whose very character is love. It doesn't mean waiting on, on God is easy because we want God to respond in our time, which we'll see in, in Martha when we get there for just a moment. But before we do, just want to remind you that the Everything that God does is out of his love for you. And what is the motivation of his love for us? Well, if you go back to verse number four, and I don't have it behind me, but if you go back to the end of verse number four, this is what Jesus says. This sickness will not end in death. No, it, this sickness is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. God's Waiting in your life is out of his love for you so that you can see God's greater glory. That's so easy to preach up here. That is so hard to live out there because we don't want to wait. And I don't mean in a bad way. I'm just saying we don't want to wait. We want God to know what we want God to do and it's good things. But how is Jesus's delay here for God's glory? Well, if you begin at the, if you start going back to the Gospel of John, this miracle that we're going to read today is the seventh sign of Jesus's deity in the Gospel of John, and it will be the greatest. Because Jesus will do something here in this chapter because of this delay that he has not done before. This is not just healing someone's illness. This is rising from the dead and only The life can do that. But Jesus said at the end of verse 4, this sickness will not lead unto death. Which when I read that, and then I read in just a few verses, and I know we're not there, but I'm just telling you what's going to happen. Lazarus is going to die. When I read that, I'm like, how can Jesus say this sickness will not lead to death when it certainly leads to death? And here's why. Because when you are the God of life, you don't view death the same way as everyone else. What do we think of as death? Well, the heart stops beating and the lungs stop breathing. What does God think of death? Well, that is a separation from the Father and the Son. You don't know me. That's why Jesus will say, if we were to keep reading, I think it's in verse number 11, he's going to say, no, 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 he's just sleeping. God has turned death into sleep, into rest. 
It's not a separation from God. It's just a momentary time of rest. Do you know the word cemetery actually means sleeping place? Because those who believe in Jesus, those bodies are resting until the return of Jesus one day when the body will be reunited and resurrected with the soul that is alive that immediately goes to the Father. We don't. These bodies may wither away and die, but for those who have a faith and trust in Jesus, we never die. We just start living somewhere else. Jesus knows that. That's why he says he's, he's sleeping. But the disciples didn't understand that, so Jesus says, no, okay, for your sake, let me just tell you how plain that can be. He is dead. So Jesus takes his disciples, and we're not reading all of that chapter. Jesus takes his disciples, and he begins to go to, to Bethany, where, where Lazarus' body will be, and Mary and Martha are. And if you would join me in verse number 20 now, verse number 20, we'll read of Jesus coming. It says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord... Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. You got to understand the faith of Martha right here. Lord, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. But I know even now you can do anything. The father will give you anything if you just ask. Can you hear the heart that Martha has? God, God will give you Jesus. He'll give you whatever you ask for just ask for Lazarus to be alive again just ask he'll give it to you if you would have been here he wouldn't have died but I know that even now he will give you what you ask for and here's what we know again I'm jumping ahead a little bit but Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead but we got to think If Martha wanted Lazarus to be raised from the dead and Jesus wanted Lazarus to be raised from the dead, why doesn't he do it right here when she asks? Because they both wanted the same thing, but for different reasons. Sometimes we go to God asking for what God wants to give it, what God wants to give us, but we ask because we want it for us and not for his glory. I guarantee you that there are times that I have prayed very good prayers. And I think prayers that God would have wanted to answer. Except in the moment while I was praying those prayers, it was all about Brian. But in God's love, his delay waited until the heart said, this isn't about me anymore. This is all about you. And then God can come give what God always wants to give us. I recently heard somebody say that every prayer is some form of thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But how often do our prayers really say my kingdom come, my will be done? But when we pray, when we truly pray, it's all about whatever God wants and whatever God wants. And it's also in God's timing. 
So while Martha has this very clear understanding of God will give you whatever you ask for, she wants what she wants. And Jesus replies to her in verse number 23. He says, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus is speaking, your brother will rise again. But Martha's thinking, yeah, but that's going to happen a long time from now. In verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? We read through that very quickly, but let's pause and ask. Jesus is asking Martha, do you believe this? And this is an answer I think everyone here needs to answer. Do you believe this? That the one who believes in Jesus will live even though they die. So when this body dies, they will continue to live because what is life? Life is knowing God. And whoever lives, who has that eternal life, by believing in me will never die. There's no second death. It is death of this body and then it is life if you believe in Jesus, not in good works, not in trying to be a good person, but if you believe, you'll never die. And Jesus says, Martha, do you believe this? This is Martha who doesn't know of the empty tomb. This is Martha who doesn't know of the cross. This is Martha who only knows this man in front of her is claiming, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the son of God. And this is what Martha's answer is. It is one of the clearest confessions of faith of Jesus Christ in the entire Bible. Verse 27. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who has come into the world. Mary says, or Martha says, you are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are the son of God who has been promised to come into the world one day. And she wasn't saying this because Jesus had raised Lazarus out of the tomb. She was saying this because she believed who Jesus was. And here's, here's my desire for everyone inside of this room is we don't look at Jesus and say, I believe you because you did something for me. I believe that you could do anything that you want to through me, in me, for me. But I believe who you are. Because if we could start there, I believe who you are, then we could sit back and say, and when you don't give me what I want, I'm okay. Because I know who you are. And when you don't come through for me when I want, I'm okay. Because I know who you are. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, the Son of God who can do anything you choose to do. If we can cement that, we can live our lives free of fear, Free of anxiety? Free of what's going to happen in the future? Huh, why are we concerned about what's happening in the future? It's in the hand of the God who gave his son to save us. He knows what he's doing. Let's keep reading because Martha takes off running without seeing what Jesus is going to do in verse 28. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. 
Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do you notice the similarities between Mary and Martha? They run to the same Jesus at the same place with the same grief over the same brother and say the same words. If you would have been here, you wouldn't have died. But Jesus doesn't do the same thing for both of them. To Martha, when she says that, he says, I am the resurrection and life. Do you know who I am? Yes, Lord, I know who you are. When Mary comes and falls at his feet, he doesn't say to Mary, do you know who I am? I am the resurrection. I am the Messiah. That's not what he does for Mary. Look at what happens in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. But oh, the implications. The one who had just declared himself to be the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of God, the resurrection and the life saw those around him were weeping and he wept with them. Don't you rejoice in the humanity and the compassion of our Jesus? He isn't a distant, detached God who stays out in front and runs the world just the way it needs to be. No, he is a God that does run the world, but enters into our world and he weeps with us. And he was tempted as we were. And he sits as we sit and loves us. I have a, a good pastor friend in Ohio that occasionally we share, uh, we share messages on Marco Polo, and he, he, was told, he was telling me this week, he said, Brian, I just got to tell you what I was overwhelmed with this week. He said, I'm studying the life of Abraham, and he said, I came across the verse that says that Abraham was a friend of God, and he said, I just sat back, and he said, I just, I, I went in my chair like, Wow! Our God has friends. No other God has friends. All the other gods of the world have servants and worshipers. Our God created us and then loved us so much. He wants to be our friends. Do you get that the creator of the world cares about you? How cool is that? That, that should just blow our mind. He doesn't just create us and then push us off and say, do the right thing. Ha, ha. He, he comes into our world, and when we don't do the right thing, he, he brings us back. And he always, Jamie, as you said this morning, he's, he's the one pursuing us. We're not pursuing him. He's pursuing us in love. 
What a God we serve. Man, he weeps with weeping hearts. And the Jews that are around see it in verse 36, and, and they say, see how he loved him. We already read that. Remember, he, saw, he loved him, but he delayed. That's, that doesn't sound like love. But here's the important truth. Jesus must play the role of prophet that he did for, 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 for must. Jesus must declare to us who he is so that we can have our confidence in him. But I love the fact that Jesus not only plays the role of prophet, he plays the role of priest in our life. He comes to sit with the suffering and the broken. In his humanity, he was tempted, he was persecuted, he was poor, he was despised, he suffered physical pain, and he felt the loss in that moment that death brings to relationships. Did Jesus know he would, he would raise Lazarus from the dead? He knew what he was going to do. But in his humanity, he felt what we feel when death comes. And he wept. What a God. Prophet. He is the Lord. Priest. And he loves us. What a God. Verse 37 says, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Oh, okay, cool. With, you with me? How many days did Jesus wait? Right, we're at two. You remember that? He waited two days. How long has Lazarus been dead? He's been dead now four days. Do you know that, what that means? If Jesus wouldn't have waited two days, Lazarus was still going to die. You understand, this means that Jesus could have heard the news about Lazarus, left immediately, and still raised him from the dead. So why wait two days? Charles Spurgeon's take on this was so interesting. He said that Jesus in the Gospels raised three people from the dead. The first was Jairus' daughter, and he did it just immediate, almost immediately after her death. She was still in her bedroom, in her home. Jesus walked up in private. He healed her, raised her to life. The second was in a funeral procession of a young boy, which would have meant he had died and it had been a period of time since he had died, but he had not, his body had not yet begun to decompose. He was on his way to the grave and Jesus healed that boy. But Lazarus, he waits until there's no hope. He is, he's decomposing now. And Charles Spurgeon said this, in our churches and in our cities, there are people walking around who are dead. Some are dead because their sins are private and not many people know about it. Some are dead because they stink and they're public sins and everybody knows about it. He said, and then you have a whole lot of people who are somewhere in between. And Jesus coming to heal Lazarus at this point after four days is saying one thing. It don't matter how dead you are. I'm the life and I can give you life if you'll just believe in me. I'm like, that's awesome. 
You get saved as a young child. I was five years old when I got saved. I wasn't saved from a quote-unquote life of sin, but I was just as dead, just as dead at five years old as the 45-year-old man and the 65-year-old woman who come to Christ after a life of sin and say, I want Jesus. We were just as dead. We needed the life just as much. And he could span from those who are young in their sins to those who are old in their sins and dead in their sins. He is the life for all of us. Man, it doesn't matter how dead you are. Jesus offers life because he is the life. Verse 40. And Jesus said, Did not I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? The word believe is important. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. Again, let me pause here. Believe is important because believe is the way to eternal life. We believe in Jesus. Then we do the works that show we have this saving belief, but we must believe. And Jesus said, my works are here not for me, but my works are here for you so that you'll believe Believe in me. And then verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And Matthew Henry in his commentary says Jesus had to use the name Lazarus because if the life speaks to the dead, they're all coming out of the grave if he's not specific. I love that. I love that. The life is going to talk to all the dead people, but he's going to be very specific. I only want one at this point. But there's going to be a day when Jesus says, come. And every one of your loved ones that's in a grave is going to rise if they are a believer in Jesus. Every single one of them. You, if Jesus hasn't come before you, you will come out of that grave because he is the life. Verse 44, the dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This always catches me, and I, don't, I would love to spend time here, but I don't have it. It's just crazy. This means, you know what this means? Lazarus came out looking like a mummy, and nobody moved. Because Jesus is like, take, take, take him off and go. Like, let him go. Yeah, like, I'm, like I'm, I'm probably staying in back there with them, too. Like, Jesus... But you know, when Jesus gives life, there are people who have been wrapped in the, the clothes of death. Hey, this is discipleship, church. When people are saved out of a life of sin, they need people to come around them, Christians, who can unwrap the clothes of death and point them to the person of Jesus so they can move and live in the life he's given to them. You know what I love, too? When Jesus resurrects and they go into his tomb, you don't find a man who is running, who is walking around in grave clothes saying, let me out of here. Let me out of here. You know why? Because Lazarus was given life by Jesus. Jesus gave himself life. And he took off those clothes himself, folded them up real nicely and said, I don't need this anymore. To the tomb. Verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him there's that belief I, love, I wish it would end there we're not going to keep reading the rest of the chapter but if you skip all the way to verse 53 not everybody believed in him some wanted to kill him kill the man who gave life to a dead man and if you really read if you read carefully you'll see that they start to want to kill lazarus what 
Lazarus, the one who was dead, who was given life by Jesus, they want to kill him again so he could stop talking about Jesus. But they didn't just plot to kill him. They did. Which means the story of Christmas is not just about the birth of Jesus, as Aaron mentioned earlier. It's also about the death of Jesus. I love what, what Peter says in the book of Acts. Peter, after Jesus is resurrected and ascends back to heaven, he goes into the temple. They heal a man. That man stands with Peter and he heals a blind man. That man's going around with Peter and John. The people are looking at Peter and John like, wow, what did you just do? And this is what Peter says. You think we did this? This isn't us. Let's not talk about us. Let's talk about you. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. That's Barabbas. You asked for someone who took life away from someone to be brought back to you while you're asking for the one who gives life to be killed. He says, you killed the author of life. Just, just let that statement sink in. You killed the author of life. God raised him. Jesus is God, by the way. But God raised him from the dead. And we're witnesses of this. But remember what Jesus said. Or remember what we said when we described death. Death is not about your hearts that don't beat and lungs that don't breathe. It's separation from God. And it's the result of our sin. And because we're all sinners, without Christ, we're all dead in our sin. The Apostle Paul says it most clearly, and I'm just about done. Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Dead in our sins, but those who have been saved have been made alive with Christ. Christ is our way from death to life. How? Because he took our sin upon himself, giving us a way to the Father, which is life. It's why when Jesus hung on the symbol that we have here of the cross, it's why when Jesus hung on the cross, he took our sins upon himself, which caused him to look up to the Father and say, not my Father, my Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you separated from me? Why can I not have you? Why? For your sin and for mine. Because he had no sin to separate him from the Father. But he took on our sin, which brought that forsaken feeling by the Father. So that we could be accepted. What a God. If you die in your sin, you will suffer the second death. 
But if you have faith, saving faith, saving belief in Jesus, who is life, you have been given eternal life. The question is whether you will live after death because you have believed in Jesus or will you experience the second death, eternal separation from God because you have rejected Jesus and tried to find your own way to him. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Christmas is not about the birth of Jesus and the death of Jesus. Christmas is about the birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, but the life of Jesus and the life he offers to each of you because he was willing to abandon the glories of heaven to come to this world. What a paradox. The life offers life through his death. And if you don't trust in his death, you'll suffer the second death. May we all trust in the death and the burial 